Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Montana's only daily sports talk show, Nuanez Now. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. I like football! Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Coulter Nuanas. Nuanas now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Appreciate you for hanging out with us here on this Friday. No time to waste. We got a whole bunch of stuff to get to. First of all, crosstown matchup here in Missoula, Washington Grizzly Stadium, Big Sky versus Sentinel. It's also homecoming for the Hellgate Knights, so we'll get to that a little bit as well. Uh, they got the Glacier Wolfpack at Missoula County Public Stadium. So prep football, two different spots, Friday Night Lights here in Missoula. Both the Division I football teams from the state of Montana are on the road, but we'll keep on previewing those games as well. Mickey Mental, the head coach of the Weber State Wildcats, his squad hosts number three Montana State tomorrow evening. He'll join us here about 4.30. We also got our hot tickets for prep sports and uh, – we also got the chick who doesn't know anything about sports. A jam-packed Nuanas now. We also hear from Dane Oliver, the head coach of Missoula Sentinel, about 5.30. Matt Johnson, the head coach of Missoula Big Sky, about 5.45. And then we'll take you through all the other key high school matchups from around the state. It's a Friday. That means it's a Florence Coffee Company Friday. I got myself a little Lotus. Lotus season's probably just about over, I think. Uh, going to be probably going back into the hot beverages here in just shortly, but lotuses are very refreshing and very nice summer drink. Got a little caffeine in them as well. And I uh, got Tommy, a little uh, double Americano, so he's going to be rocking out uh, later on this afternoon. No matter where you're at in Montana, it's a Friday night. You can stay up late. Friday night lights all over the place. Got Crosstown and Helena between Helena and Helena Capital. Got Crosstown and Bozeman between Bozeman and Bozeman Gallatin. And a ton of other hot prep matchups coming up. 
No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Florence Coffee Company near you. Get yourself some Joe so you can stay up late here uh, on this Friday night. Well, it's slightly more fun when he's actually here in person on Friday afternoons because it just harkens in the arrival of the weekend. Although, what the hell do I know about weekends? Nothing. We're always covering football. I can't complain, though. Watching football for a living is a pretty good gig. I think most of you out there would trade me. Either way, uh, Rajiv Seabrook rolling with us here uh, on Thursday as you're listening to it on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in uh, to Nuanas Now. First of all, I know I touched on this a couple weeks ago, but I got to say thank you for the awesome book that you gave me. You gave me this sweet book called Black Ball, and it's all about sort of the origin of um, – the influence of African-American culture into the NBA, but also some of the pioneers that sort of broke down some different barriers. So they touch on Connie Hawkins, who was basically blackballed from the NBA until he got into the NBA. Uh, And then they talk about Spencer Haywood, who was the guy that basically changed the game by being the first guy to come out of college before his senior year. Mm -hmm. They went from the ABA to the NBA. They talk about Oscar Robinson being the head of the Players Union and suing the NBA, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, and a variety of others. Uh, Casey Jones, one of the first black coaches. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all just all about the influence and then the way that the NBA has become what it has become. And you were, you were wanting to talk about uh, basketball players that we should remember. I, I seriously think after reading this book that Connie Hawkins and Spencer Haywood both have to be on that list. Not only were they pioneers and completely influential in the basketball and social realms of uh, pro hoops, but also they're just such sweet players. I mean, Spencer Haywood's like top statistics during his peak in the ABA before he got hurt are, are astounding. Ridic- are they're ridic- right? they're ridiculous. He would, uh, he, if he were in today's game with his skill set, mm. he probably averaged 35 a game. Like there's just, I don't, I don't, I just, there's no one in the modern day NBA that I think that can like match up with him defensively. Spencer Haywood, his rookie season in Denver when he's 20 years old, averaged 30 points and 20 Bingo. rebounds per game. Bingo. I mean, this guy averaged 21 points and 11.3 rebounds for his career. And this is with having some pretty significant injuries toward the end of his career. Only played until he was 33. but uh, And violent defenses. Like straight, sure. straight thuggery was going on uh, in basketball leagues uh, back in the uh, late 70s. Connie Hawkins also did a Capelli one, and it made me happy reading about Connie Hawkins because my dad grew up in Arizona, and he grew up super, 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 super rural. No television whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, he really loved... Uh, he started the only real pro sport he ever followed. He, my dad, it's funny because my brother and I are like live a life of sports, and all we do is talk sports and make money off sports and all this stuff. Let me but, borrow a dollar there. <laughs> but uh, we. Uh, we were not like the typical, most people that sit in my chair, you'd think, oh, well, their dad and their grandpa and everybody, that's what they did is get together, watch right, sports. Right, right, right. Like there's a lineage going on. We didn't do that at all. Like during the, on the weekends, all we were doing is working outside and, and <laughs> like doing landscaping and stuff, which I totally appreciate now that I'm older. Um, my dad did like basketball though, even though he never played basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to ask him who he liked when he was a kid. And he used to always say Connie Hawkins because when Connie Hawkins went to the Phoenix Suns, he got to go on like a field trip there. He wasn't even watching this guy on TV because the NBA wasn't even on TV back then. No, if it was, it was on at like 3 o'clock in the right. morning being rebroadcast. Right. So yeah. I was just, when I was a kid and a teenager and stuff, I always thought, oh, my dad just liked Connie Hawkins because that was the guy for the Suns. I didn't really actually realize that Connie Hawkins was also like one of the best players in the ABA, into the NBA. And just the way that those guys revolutionized the game from the three-point shot to the dunk contest. I mean, what we know is the modern-day NBA now, so much of it comes from those 
ABA stars and the guys that sort of pioneered it in the seventies. So thank you for the book. It's awesome. You're book. so welcome, man. I uh, I I am I would say sixty five percent of the uh, way through. It was for me. It was a hard read. Yeah. It, it, not yeah. not because of the, the the text or you know comprehension. Just a hard read to understand like the hardships that they were dealing with in the NBA, which mirrored like the hardships of society and culture overall in America at those times too. So a lot of these guys were fighting um, on a lot of different fronts. They were fighting. Political fronts, racial fronts, sports, like, you know, inside and outs, in and uh, on and off the court. So um, very grateful for their work. It was, some would say sacrifice um, to continue the great ball uh, game of basketball to what it is today. If those guys aren't there, Coulter, we may not have what we have, like the modernized NBA today. So no doubt. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, fellas, for, for being who you are. Black Ball, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Spencer Haywood, and the Generation That Saved the Soul of the NBA. It's by Teresa Runstetler. By the way, what a great reporter. I mean, the reporting in this book, she's a great writer as well, but like the reporting and the stuff that she was able to turn up, just in terms of the context and the the in-depth reporting is just... It's second to none. It's it's, uh, phenomenal journalism. Rajiv Seabrook joining me, Coulter Nuanas, in studio. How about... I got another book for you if okay, you like that I can't one. Wait, yeah, I'm look. not going to tell you the title. I'm okay. just going to drop it on you the next time I see it. Great. See you, and then you'll uh, you'll enjoy it. Guaranteed. Um, the, uh, <laughs> it's so funny, because our whole lives were taught. Things that seem too good to be true generally are. Uh-oh. And it seemed as if the New York Jets were too good to be true. <laughs> oh God! They, they had the most. The they had the most hype of any team I can oh, really remember. Good gravy! I mean, Adam Schefter was really put in perspective. There's been a, a whole bunch of, of movement and stuff in so many different pro sports, but in the NFL, usually the only movement you really have is when you get cut by the team that doesn't watch you anymore, and then you go try to have like a, uh, a resurgence, one last revival. Yeah, totally, tour. totally. But no one's almost, almost no one is ever really the same. Only Tom Brady really like left the franchise he was the man with and then went somewhere. I guess Brett Favre had an okay run. Randy Moss. Randy Moss is great. Yeah. And he actually got traded. True, 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 true. Which was actually one of the bigger trades in NFL history because that doesn't really happen. Usually the big time names are just leaving and going free agency. Mm-hmm. In terms of an actual trade and the offseason hype behind it, Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets is one of the biggest trades in the NFL's history. Absolutely. And it lasted four plays. Yes. A it's, whopping... It's unbelievable. 62 ticks on a clock. Like, a part of me wants to say that it's just such bad luck and I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. A part of me also wants to just believe in the energy of the universe that, like, this is what happens when you just are completely overexposed and everything is... I don't know. I, I guess that's a little bit too ethereal for most of our audience, but it's it's, a, <laughs> wow. it's really, really weird that it, it, it went so badly so quickly. I think the universe produces this thing called karma. Mm-hmm. And the karma chameleon, a la Culture Club, boy George, love you guy, <laughs> um, I, it, it kind of came back in spades. It just... He, 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 snake bitten. Plus, the Jets are just cursed as an organization. They absolutely it's are. the ghost of Jimmy Hoffa over there in the Meadowlands, ladies and gentlemen, below the surface, just continuing to tank gangrene. Um, I don't know what the, I, the Jets, to me, is an organization that can't get out of its own way. 
Right. They're not as like morally bankrupt as the commanders. Sure. They're not right. as as empirical and monolithic as the Patriots. Right. But they just can't get out of their own way. Here's the part that's so crazy about this scenario, though, is the Jets have actually done a good job of building up their roster. Right totally now, have. They, have. they have all the pieces. The thing that they said the most important piece. They don't have the quarterback. And and the, the, the calamity stems from multiple things. The bad luck of Aaron Rodgers, yes. certainly. But also, they also have been in the situation if they wouldn't have drafted Zach Wilson. Son. You know, I mean... Son. Zach Wilson. Oh, boy. The, the, hold on. Let's not have some overlap into the conversation. Let's just stick with the Jets, separate it out from Aaron Rodgers, and then we'll get into the Zach Wilson fiasco here in a moment. The Jets just... I, I like what you said, Coulter. They, 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 they put together, over the last three to four years, they put together a really nice team. Yeah. Like, individually, the pieces look uh, are great. On paper, they look great. But when push comes to shove and it's actually time for the product to move this year, um, the assembly line is backed up because Aaron Rodgers, the trigger man, isn't there. What I don't understand from the Jets' perspective in relation to Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson, you knew you didn't want Zach Wilson. You know your team doesn't want Zach Wilson. You know your fan base doesn't want Zach Wilson. So why did you keep him around? Is yeah. there something we don't know that 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 we're not seeing that they're keeping him around for a reason? I know he's not tradable, but he is he is waivable. Right. Um the, the Jets didn't do anything to ensure themselves if Aaron Rodgers either got injured in this case or his ego took him out of the city. So uh, to me, the lack of brain trust to protect themselves if if and when Aaron Rodgers fell, that, that to me was the fiasco in and of itself. Um, drafting Zach Wilson, you know, second overall was also a fiasco <laughs> in and of itself as well. But I'm looking at the 2021 NFL draft because a lot of times it's just the, the, the way drafts play out, especially when you analyze them retrospectively, you can just, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty in retrospect. But, Absolute crystal clear. But, you know, you, you can, you're, you're always going to harken back to the draft when Mitchell Trubisky went number two and they could have taken Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert, right? Right. That's just, it's just such bad drafting. Bad juju. It's actually not, here's the thing, Trevor Lawrence went number one in that draft. Yep. Then Zach Wilson went number two. Yep. I don't think the Jets would be in, in any better situation if they would have drafted Trey Lance. No, nope. would they be in any better situation if they would have drafted Mac Jones? I don't really know, man. Maybe a little, <laughs> a bit. little bit better. But, but Mac Jones is pretty, pretty like man. I mean, I was watching Zach, and Jones he's got a on, good coach like helping him, like right. I, mean, I was man watching with Zach Jones on Sunday Night Football. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, this guy is like. I was sending people texts to troll him. I actually should have trolled you a little bit too. I should have trolled <laughs> always you by saying, uh, "Who'd you rather have, D- Daniel Jones or Mac Jones?" That was me. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is the answer for sure, right? Uh, You know, and then the other quarterback that went the first round is Justin Fields. Fields remains to be seen. It's TBD on Fields. I do think if he got put in the right system, he could be pretty good. I would agree with that. He is a game-changing player because he's such a freak athlete. I mean, he's one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. Period. But I really don't know if the Jeffs would have been in a better situation with any of those guys. All of them are better just... Athletes than Zach Wilson. I yeah. think more mobile. I, I, the, the, the glass ceiling isn't as murky for those guys as it is for, for Zach Wilson. I think the reason the Jets kept him is because they thought they were going to go get a veteran guy, a.k.a. Aaron Rodgers, to mentor him. So, I don't know. Uh, NFL with Rajim Seabrook here on hey. your Friday. Uh, it's Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Okay, so here's where we're at. Uh, first of all, uh, two precursor statistics for you. Oh, uh, the last, during the Super Bowl era, mm-hmm. teams that have started 0-2, 
So the Super Bowl era goes all the way back to what, 1964 or 63? So we're almost to the 60th anniversary of the Which Super is Bowl. Nuts. Right around in there. I'm getting old. Over the last, uh, let's just say, roughly six decades, teams that have started 0 and 2, only 37 teams have made the playoffs. Mm hmm. So it's kind of a kiss of death. Oh yeah. The on the other hand, death. on the other hand, teams that start two and zero have about a sixty-five percent chance, about two thirds chance of making the playoffs. C plus average. So here's your two and zero teams. Here's your zero and two teams. Two and zero teams are Baltimore, yep. Miami, yep. Dallas, yep. Philly, Washington, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The zero and two teams are Cincinnati, Arizona, Minnesota, Chicago, Denver, the Chargers. The Texans and the Patriots. Which first? Let's start with the zero and two teams. Out of Cincinnati, Arizona, Minnesota, Chicago, Denver, the Chargers, the Texans, and the Patriots. Chargers and the Bengals. Those, those are the two most surprising. Those are the two most surprising. I totally Absolutely. agree. The Chargers and the Bengals. There's so much talent, both sides of the ball, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, pretty sound coaching. Um, when 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 I look at the Chargers. What's hurting the Chargers are injuries right now. And just the ability to finish close games. This has and been their thing that since uh, Brandon Stanley took over, right? I agree. I, mean, I agree. If, you, if you're going to a game in overtime, then like if, when you lose in overtime, part of that is generally going to be just the either the management of the game or the inability to make plays down the stretch. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. And the Chargers just can't finish. They just can't right. finish. And uh, that's, that's sad considering like all the talent that they have. The Bengals are surprising to a point. When you look at them, they should be blazing off the paper because of the talent that they have. But they have not addressed the O-line. The the amendments that they have made, it's like putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound. Um, it doesn't. It's not working for them. And Joe Burrow, I think, is a little out of his own head. Uh, I think part of it's because he's hurt, right? Well, he's hurt. He's playing hurt. He's know the guys up in front aren't going to protect him. So every time he goes to drop back, it's like, is this my last time this season? Like, you can't play any game scared, especially the game of football. And there's a there's a bit of fear mongering that I feel that's in his mind. Like I can't stay upright because the guys in front of me are like a well. And he also sieve. he also can't scramble because this calf injury. I mean, it's totally. A- We've seen this in pro sports, especially a lot recently with the Kevin Durant's, the Clay Thompson's of the world, where you have these point. you have these lingering calf injuries, and then all of a sudden, boom, your Achilles is popped, and you're and you're you're done for a year plus, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they just paid him a quarter billion, son. So, son. So I think that they're probably going to use kid gloves with him. I mean, he he came out of the game last week for a little while. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if they mitigate that. And, and if you mitigate it for a couple more weeks and all of a sudden you're sitting there at one and three or oh and four. Healthy scratch it, the rest of the year. Right, then you maybe you just pack up the tents and say, hey, we'll get them next year. But Yeah, and get a first round, you know, left or right tackle. Right. Uh, I agree. I'm 0% surprised Arizona's 0-2. They suck. 0% surprised the Bears, the Texans are 0-2. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Broncos a little surprised, but not really. Yeah, you know what's funny about them? Like, if you look statistically, Russell Wilson's not having a bad year. Yeah, this is what I always say on the show, though. Guess what? Statistical quarterback production oftentimes comes for losers. Who's that? Who's the best statistical quarterback in the NFL right now? Right now? Don't Kirk, Kirk Cousins. 
Oh, and they, Kirk he Cousins sucks. Is, Kirk Cousins is throwing for 360 yards a game. He's throwing like eight touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, he threw for 370 and four touchdowns on Thursday night last week. It was legit. It was a nice showing. But guess what? The Vikings can't stop the run, and they exactly, got absolutely pounded. And also, Kirk Cousins is throwing the ball all over the place because the Vikings were down two scores the whole game. Then they score, they score a garbage touchdown at the end to cut it to one touchdown or whatever. But, like, they were down two scores the whole game, and the Eagles rushed for 300 yards against them. Dude, the Eagles are legit, son. The Eagles are definitely legit. scary. So I'm uh, so that's all to say I'm not that surprised that the Vikings are 0 and 2. Mostly, no. I don't think the Vikings are that bad. I think they're just okay, but they've just had a couple tough opponents right out the game. I mean, I think the Eagles are one of the three best teams in the NFL. So oh, without a doubt. Uh, and then you know, New England maybe a little bit surprising that they're 0 and 2, but I think I agree with you. I think it's definitely Cincinnati and uh, the Los, Los Angeles Chargers. Absolutely, without a doubt, they're the most surprising. Uh, at 2 and 0. I'm unsurprised that Baltimore and Philly and San Francisco are 2-0. No I had all three of those as, as three of the top five mm-hmm. or six teams. A little bit more surprised about Dallas and Miami and totally surprised by Washington, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay. The last three, yes. Dallas, not so much. Yeah, um, Dallas is right where they should be. I, I, I think that if they were going to make the push, this is the year that they do it. I, I, I And this is coming from a Giants fans, folks. Like, I'm throwing up in my mouth a little bit, talking about <laughs> Dallas in such a positive way. But I do think that Dallas is is, is where they need to be. Philly are, are the big kids on the block in the NFC, um, only to be matched by San Francisco, who looks good. San Francisco um, looks so good. Man. Dude, they're so good. Like, so, See, here's, so good. Here's the thing that Kyle Shanahan understands, is that if you have... All the pieces, mm-hmm. particularly, I mean, the Niners are the most complete team in the NFL. They are the only team I can really think of off the top of my head that have an absolutely elite offensive line, an absolutely elite defense, and absolutely elite offensive skill players. When you have all three of those, the number one factor for you need in a quarterback, the the main national media always tries to say, you just need a point guard, a guy that doesn't make mistakes, whatever. Wrong. What you need is a guy that the guys on your team love. The, do you want to know who loves Purdy? Uh, uh, Nick Bosa yeah. and Fred Warner. Oh, studs. And, and like all the dudes on the Giants dudes. defense. And Debo Samuel. 49ers defense. These guys, or, yeah, right. The 49ers defense. Oh, that, those dudes love Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Period. It's like the Tebow effect. When, when Tebow in his first year, when he he was terrible. But guess what? He would go run over a linebacker, and the defense was like, "Yeah, and that's even won a freaking playoff game." You rally around a dude because they loved him from a leadership perspective. Totally, we see this in totally. the NFL all the time. So often, I think that if you have like just a defense full of dogs, if you have a and they do, if you have a quarterback who's soft, that builds this resentment in the locker room. This Niners defense loves Brock Purdy. I, that was what Nick Bosa said in his opening statement after the first game when they just absolutely killed the Pittsburgh Steelers. He says, all you guys talked all off about how Brock Purdy can't handle it. We think Brock Purdy's the man. Next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I just I think that the 49ers got the formula figured out. You know who they remind me? I was talking to a friend who's the Niners fan about them um, a couple of days ago. They kind of remind me of the Bears in eighty in eight from 85. Interesting. You got this crazy defense. Yeah. You've got really good skill players on offense and a quarterback who 
is just a blue collar, hard hat, lunch pail kind of guy who wants to go to work and just grind it out or get down into the mines and, and bring out the gems. And um, they are much prettier and more efficient uh, and, and shiny than the Bears were. But as far as culture, the defense loving the offense, offense complemented the defense and just having guys rally around each other, they, 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 uh, they definitely have a tinge of uh, the 85 Bears to them. Baltimore, I mean, Lamar Jackson's been as advertised. They're, they're off to a great Legit. start. I mean, the thing that's so impressive about Baltimore's start, too, is it's against a couple division opponents as yep. well. Oh, yeah. So you already have a win over the Bengals. You know, uh, pretty, pretty good if you're Baltimore. Um, Philly, Dallas, I think they're going to be on a collision course in the NFC East, but it's crazy that there's three teams in the NFC East after 2 0 starts. I thought the Commanders had a chance to be one of the more improved teams in the NFL. But I didn't know if they were going to be as good as they've been early on. Brian Robinson, the running back, who had the whole situation last year where he got robbed and shot. Yeah. And mad to miss the beginning part yeah, of the year. I don't even know. He's back He's back to full health, and he's been amazing. I mean, he had three touchdowns last week. I mean, he's everybody's favorite fantasy uh, waiver pickup right now. And the... the the commanders are just nasty on defense too, man. Oh my gosh. But I also think there's a factor there where you have this defensive minded head coach in Ron Rivera. And last year they were really good on defense and they did literally nothing on offense. And what does he do? He makes one of the most underrated and biggest moves in the offseason of any team. He brings in Eric Bieniemy and says, Hey, you run the offense, I run the defense, let's roll. Yeah, peanut butter, meat, jelly. Hello. <laughs> and I mean, they're rolling with Sam Howell at quarterback and making it work. Here they are, two and zero, making it work. Uh, Colts just shot the name Eric Bieniemy, who is the former offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, for the Chiefs, winning multiple Super Bowls and making Super Bowl appearances. Um, and sadly for this guy, he's been o- overlooked as a head coach in the NFL. And for you to take a very Garbage team. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. No offense, uh, Commanders fans. Garbage team. And to make them 2-0 and and to have the offense clicking the way it is, especially with the guys that it's pretty much the same du- The same dudes are in the stable from last year. They just have a new offensive coordinator. And uh, I, the enemy, man, I love you as a running back. I love you as a coach. And even though you're, you're going to probably beat my Giants two times this year, um, I like what he's doing because uh, it, it puts him back on the back on the map as possible candidate for a head coach going forward. But definitely doing all the right things down in Washington. Then the other uh, surprise two and O teams are Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Dude, Atlanta is what? Atlanta's sweet because uh, last year they first of all Atlanta their game their whole entire game plan offensively they want to run the ball. More than almost any team in the league. Mm-hmm. Last year, they did it so well early, and they got off to a good start, and then Marcus Mariota sort of fell apart, and then they couldn't figure out a way to get it back on track, and then they had that long losing streak, and they kind of just faded. I watched Atlanta week two. Maybe it was week four. But I saw I watched them live in Seattle because we were over there covering Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just went to Seattle because I wanted to see Troy Anderson and Will Disley, two Montana guys, play against each other. That was pretty cool. But I, I Atlanta won that game in Seattle, and I was very impressed with the Falcons. I thought they had a chance to be good last year, and then they couldn't really get it figured out. Well, then they add B. John Robinson to the He's rushing so attack, and he is fun. so sweet. And their offensive line is good, and, I mean, their head coach wants to run the ball. Now they play a little defense, too. So uh, 
I'm actually maybe not that surprised by Atlanta because I just think they have a formula that if you can execute it well, if as long as you get okay quarterback play, which they have so far, it's it, it is effective. I th- I like I like your analysis. Uh, I think for me they're surprised because I didn't think they were going to be good at all. You know, I just you know, Atlanta is just one of those teams that are. I just I I'll be honest. I never really think about them. I hope they're on my schedule because it's sometimes an easy win. But I like the way they're playing uh, football this year. They kind of remind me of it's like watching a college team a little bit. Like. Because they're so young. Because they're so young. The I mean, way yeah. they move. I mean, B. John Robinson's a first-year oh, guy. Oh, so good. Drake London's a second-year guy. Kyle yeah. Pitts is a second-year guy. Jeff, uh, who's the who's the quarterback? Uh, Jeff Akuda. Akuda. I mean, he's a, what, second- or third-year guy. It's like watching. Troy Anderson's a second-year guy. It's like watching a, uh, it's like watching college. And it's it's gadgety, it's gimmicky, it's fast, it's flashy. Um, it's actually a really good point. Run, what they do in the run game is very college-like with all their pre-snap motions. Totally. All the stuff that they're doing. And that's actually a really really good uh, observation. That's why you get me in here and pay me no dollars <laughs> to get all this free awesome awesome sauce. No, it's just it's like watching it's like watching old school NCAA of uh, video game football and I love it. Um it would be interesting to see you know, come game six or seven when people start having more film mm-hmm. on them to analyze and break down and diagnose. Uh, but for right now, it's really fun uh, to watch uh, those young cats do what they do. No, it's now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Rajim Seabrook rolling with us here uh, on this Friday. Backslash Thursday. That's right. Welcome to the Twilight Zone, folks. <laughs> more right after this. Mickey Mittal, head coach of Weber State. On the other side, Nuwana is now ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Maybe you're watching on SWX Montana Television. Maybe you're streaming on the ESPN MT app. Appreciate you being here no matter how you're tuning in. Earlier this week, we had a couple of folks in for an annual event that's really a good one for a really good cause. The Watson Children's Shelter. They're putting on their annual tennis pro-am, which is hosted by Peak Health and Wellness. On Thursday, October 5th, they'll have a live auction at the Wilma. And here's what you get to do. You get to bid on tennis pros to play on your team for the weekend. Then you get to play a whole weekend worth of tennis. October 6th through the 8th, there'll be former Olympians, Grand Slam winners, U.S. Open champions. This event promises to be a smashing blend of world-class tennis action, camaraderie, and philanthropy. Great former pros like Mats Willander, Murphy and Luke Jensen, Brenda Schultz-McCarthy, and Jimmy Pinju will be available for auction. And the best part about all this, all the proceeds from the Pro-Am 
go towards supporting the Watson Children's Shelter in their mission to provide safety, nurturing, and stability to children and families through quality services and trauma-informed care. ESPN Radio, as well as the Trail 103.3, we are once again proud to sponsor uh, this outstanding event for a great cause. To find out more, visit watsonchildrenshelter.org. Well, Big Sky Conference play opens this weekend, and our coverage continues here on ESPN Radio as well as Skyline Sports. And we're joined now by Mickey Mentalese, the first-year head coach for the Weber State Wildcat football team. They host Montana State in one of two top ten matchups in the Big Sky to open league play. Coach Bentle, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? Absolutely awesome, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Well, first of all, just tell us about uh, your team's non-conference the nice win over Northern Iowa, which I was very impressed by. I watched that whole thing leading up to uh, a, a night game in St. George that I was covering. So uh, certainly one of the marquee wins for a Big Sky Conference team. How did you just evaluate your guys' as a non-conference uh, so far this year? Uh, like where we're at, I, you know, obviously you like to have an upward trending slope throughout a season, and I think we're on it. Um, played a really, really, really good team in Utah last week. Uh, but our kids played really, really hard. Um, got to clean some few things up. Some of it is what Utah did. Some of it was self-inflicted. So just taking care of those self-inflicted uh, areas this week for uh, a really good test against Montana State. Was obviously a really good team. Utah, so, so good defensively i mean they have been I, I somehow i know they get a lot of love around the western part of the united states but i feel like on a national level people don't get them the credit they deserve i mean how, how does that help prepare your team though for for big sky conference play when uh you're going against a squad with that much uh, defensive talent uh obviously i think you're prepared it the game will slow down uh, those guys are do a really good job down there in salt lake um but obviously you know we we got to do a better job uh Want to for me putting my guys in better position to be successful this week and obviously executing uh, when when they got have an opportunity to make a play. But take no uh, nothing away from Utah. Uh, being an East Coast guy, man, they're, they're, as, they're as good as it gets in the country. So um, they should get more respect, in my personal opinion. No doubt about it. Uh, when it comes to just your role, I mean, what have you thought of just being a head coach? How is it different than, than being a coordinator? I know you've been a head coach at a different level before, but how's it been just being the head coach at Weber State? Uh, I mean, it, football is football. None of that changes. Um, your daily process, your daily routine as a football coach, uh, from a coordinator standpoint, assistant coach standpoint, um, doesn't change. Uh, I think the thing that changes is, you know, all the outside stuff, the, the, the interviews, the media, uh, making sure guys handling stuff around campus a little bit more. But um, it, it's been great. Uh, I work with an amazing group of uh, um staff and obviously uh, administration is second to none here. Mickey Mantle joining us here on Nuanas Now. ESPN Radio is the head coach at Weber State. Wildcats host Montana State on Saturday evening in Ogden. And uh, a lot of buzz around this game, Coach, because of the rankings of the teams, the, the recent matchups between them. But also there's been some stuff going on uh, there at Weber State too. I, I know you guys have had a stadium renovation going on, so probably pretty excited to, to have all this uh, coming to fruition this weekend. Absolutely, I think it's a it's a great um, uh, scene uh, with, with the availing of the east side stands and obviously the new turf. Um, that's all great excitement for for the for the program for the university, and obviously having an, uh, the third ranked team in America coming in here and uh, 
Montana State. But more importantly, we got to focus on football and not the noise around it. So it'll be a really cool atmosphere. But uh, at the end of the day, we got to make sure we're ready to go and play ball. Well, one guy I've really enjoyed watching so far this year on your squad is David Bankston, and it seems like he's really coming into his own. So uh, what sort of improvements have you seen him make, or what have you thought of his ability to be so prolific early on this year? Uh, I think he's running with better pad level. Um, there's better yards after contact uh, than last year, but you know he still has the ability to hit the home run, obviously, at Northern Iowa uh, in the fourth quarter to kind of cement the game on the – the, the big run at the end. Um, but also, I think he's slowing the game down a little bit, uh, especially in the gap schemes. He's more patient through the hole, or through the hole and then obviously using his speed um, to hit top end to take a, that big play uh, all the way. But I think the game's just slowing down for him. He's feeling more and more confident being in the same offense for the second year in a row. And your quarterback, Colin Weiser, I got a chance to see him a little bit in Bozeman last year when he came into the game for Bronson Barrett. Uh, and then an interesting situation, into the portal, back out of the portal, but uh, now he's the guy. So, um, I mean, what do you like about him and how uh, you know how were you guys able to kind of get him to come back and, and what was sort of behind that? What did you like about having him as a returning guy? Yeah, it was kind of one of those weird situations. Every situation now with the portal is different. It was, uh, he left because he wanted to play, and obviously Bronson was still on the, the the current roster. And then obviously Bronson went in the portal, and he likes he loves Weber State, and you know he likes the offense. So it was pretty easy, you know, getting him back. Um, but I wanted to get him back for the right reasons, and obviously he fits the bill. Um, he loves Weber State. He loves the, the program. Uh, more importantly, I think he's done a really good job of managing the game. Uh, and putting us in better situations. Defensively, what have you liked about your squad? What's your evaluation so far? I love how they play D. Uh, I think, you know, the only thing we got to do a better job is obviously was uh, magnified at Utah. It's just getting off the field on third down. But um, those guys play hard, and obviously it's headlined by, you know, Max, um, Anderson, Winston Reed, Jack Kelly. And then up front, I think they've been playing really well. Um, so I think just continuing that, but just taking that extra step and getting off on, on at on third downs at a higher rate. Um, but I think they're playing really, really hard. Well, a lot of times for first-year head coaches, uh, you got a lot of rebuilding to do, and a lot of times that falls in the trenches. But, I mean, you guys are so good up front on both sides of the ball. So how much does that help you to sort of in the, in the progress of, of making the program your own? Uh, it's, a, it's a huge benefit. Um, obviously, when, when Coach Hill decided – to leave he did not leave the cover bare so i'm very grateful for that um but you know more importantly i think our guys love to play hard and play for each other um very talented but i think what separates you know a player at weaver is just how hard they play um so just got to continue that mickey Bittle here on nuanas now espn radio at montana state uh they've been rolling the last couple years so um certainly uh an interesting challenge always because of the stuff they do offensively and, and all the different complexities. And, and I think they're playing pretty good defensively right now too, maybe even improve from a year ago defensively. So, uh, I mean, to start with the Bobcat offense, though, I mean, how challenging is it to, to prepare for uh, that scheme and, and that level of talent uh, coming into this week? Well, I think they do a really good job. Obviously, they're well coached. Uh, their head coach, I have a ton of respect for him. Coach Beacon uh, thinks he, think he does a fantastic job. Um, you know, building a program, sustaining a program. Offensively, I think Taylor House, right, you know, it does a fantastic job using, utilizing his um, personnel groupings, um, who's in the backfield, misdirection, 
how you build that off of with your play action does a real good job of that. Um, you know, with uh, Tommy this week, it kind of makes it a little bit more simpler, but take no credit away or give. I mean, their other quarterbacks were darn good and, and Chambers. So just not having both of them out there is, is a blessing. Uh, only I ain't have to prepare for one is good. But obviously, really good play, really good player. Just a different style of runner. I think he's more of a thumper than obviously Tommy. Um, and then obviously, they're surrounded by a good amount of speed um, that, that I think, given a crease, they can take it. And then up front, I think, is where um, they don't get enough credit. I think they're really good up front. They're physical, they play hard. Uh, very similar to what we do here. And on the other side, defensively, uh, much improved in the secondary. A lot of guys making plays on that side. And, uh, I mean, it looks pretty standard in terms of the front seven. Montana State's always good on the front seven. So, I mean, how do you go about preparing for this Bobcat defense? Uh, I think it goes – I mean, it's always about us. How do we prepare? How to? How do we execute at a high level against a really good defense that, you know, plays sound football? They don't give up the big play, and I think that's what you notice more – most on tape other than the two plays and at the end of south dakota state they really don't give up big chunk yard plays so you're gonna have to earn it um i think we got to sustain drives and finish drives in in the end zone uh, but also keep the ball away from their offense and and limit possessions but uh we got to make the most of our possessions mickey mantle weaver state head coach here uh, on to on is now. Last couple of things for you, Coach. Uh, when it comes to the matchups last year, I mean, obviously you guys played these these guys twice in a short span, and, and the game in Bozeman was just crazy. So, I mean, does that motivate you? I mean, I, you're, I'm motivated coming into every game. D- does the play a factor, though, just the fact that last time you guys played these guys in the regular season, it was such a crazy back-and-forth game? Uh, a little bit. I mean, any true competitor, you always you know want to beat the team that beat you last Um but, you know, at the end of the day, it's about us and how do we prepare, um, how do we, you know, execute. Um, but, yeah, I'd be lying if we weren't motivated, obviously. But they're a good team. We're going to play really well, but it's always about us. What are the keys then for you guys uh, in Ogden on Saturday night? Uh, like I said, limit the big plays, um, you know, win field position. Uh, special teams, I think, obviously play a huge role in, the, in this series, uh, both good and bad. Um, and then, obviously, at the end, you got to score touchdowns uh, and not kick field goals in the red zone and win third down. Right, I think those will be the keys this week. Mickey Mitchell here on ESPN Radio. Coach, appreciate the time, man. We'll look forward to seeing you on Saturday, but thanks so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, y'all. So- there you go. Mickey Mantle, head coach of the Weber State Wildcats here on Nuanas Now. How about some hot tickets from around the state of Montana? Friday Night Lights returns. We got some of the best matchups in all of the classifications. Next, keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Bobcat fans, support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear 
at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.